European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 1, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lusher. Atrial fibrillation beyond the arrhythmia, hypercoagulability, adipose tissue, and fibrotic remodeling. Atrial fibrillation is the most common sustained arrhythmia, and its treatment continues to be a challenge. Its management has recently been reviewed extensively in the 2016 ESC guidelines on atrial fibrillation. Current concepts focus on the atrial substrate and triggers from the pulmonary veins as its primary mechanisms. Remodeling of atrial tissue appears to provide the substrate upon which the atrial arrhythmia can develop. In their review article, Magnetic Resonance Imaging of Atrial Fibrosis, Redefining Atrial Fibrillation to a Syndrome, Pim Gal and Nasir F. Marouche from the University of Utah School of Medicine in Salt Lake City, USA, remind us that delayed enhancement, DE, MRI, has been recently introduced in the diagnosis and treatment of atrial fibrillation for the assessment of atrial fibrosis, which is considered the hallmark of the arrhythmogenic substrate in atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrosis is an independent predictor of arrhythmia recurrences. Post-ablation DEMRI allows for the assessment of the total scar burden, the degree of complete encirclement of pulmonary veins, and the assessment of residual fibrosis, all strong predictors of arrhythmia recurrences post-ablation. Current pathophysiological perspectives for atrial fibrillation are heavily based on the adagium AF begets AF. Potentially, atrial fibrosis, as such, is a disease process that triggers the initiation and maintenance of atrial fibrillation. While anticoagulation with vitamin K antagonists, and currently mostly with novel oral anticoagulants, NOACs, prevent the most important complication of atrial fibrillation, the arrhythmia itself is either managed with drugs or catheter ablation. Indeed, catheter ablation has become an effective treatment of paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. However, its use in patients with persistent atrial fibrillation is less well established. In a second clinical review, Catheter Ablation in Patients with Persistent Atrial Fibrillation, Paulus Kirchhoff and colleagues from the University of Birmingham in the UK remind us that approximately one-third of ablation procedures are currently performed in patients with persistent or long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation. The authors review the available information to guide catheter ablation in these more chronic forms of atrial fibrillation and identify the following principles. First, our clinical ability to discriminate paroxysmal and persistent atrial fibrillation is limited. Thus, pulmonary vein isolation is a reasonable and effective first approach in persistent atrial fibrillation. Second, other ablation strategies are being developed and need to be properly evaluated in controlled, multi-center trials. Third, treatment of comorbidities promoting recurrent atrial fibrillation by lifestyle interventions and medical therapy should be a routine adjunct to catheter ablation of persistent atrial fibrillation. Finally, early rhythm control therapy has a biological rationale and trials evaluating its value are underway. Overall, 
there is a clear need to generate more evidence for the best approach to ablation of persistent atrial fibrillation beyond pulmonary vein isolation in the form of adequately powered controlled multicenter trials. Atrial fibrillation is the most common arrhythmia and produces a hypercoagulable state. Stimulation of protease-activated receptors by coagulation factors in turn provokes profibrotic, prohypertrophic, and pro-inflammatory responses in a variety of tissues. In their clinical review, hypercoagulability causes atrial fibrosis and promotes atrial fibrillation, Ulrich Schotten and colleagues from the Maastricht University in the Netherlands discuss the effect of thrombin and atrial fibroblasts and the hypothesis that hypercoagulability contributes to the development of a substrate for atrial fibrillation, another view at the concept that atrial fibrillation begets atrial fibrillation. In isolated rat atrial fibroblasts, thrombin-enhanced phosphorylation of the profibrotic signaling molecules, AKT and ERK, and increase the expression of TGF-beta-1 and the pro-inflammatory factor monocyte chemoattractant protein 1. Thrombin also increased the incorporation of 3H-proline, suggesting enhanced collagen synthesis by fibroblasts. All effects were attenuated by the thrombin inhibitor dabigatran. In transgenic mice with a procoagulant phenotype, the inductibility of atrial fibrillation episodes lasting more than one second was higher and duration of atrial fibrillation episodes was longer compared to wild-type mice. In six goats with persistent atrial fibrillation, treated with nadroparin targeting factor XA mediated thrombin generation, the complexity of the atrial fibrillation substrate was less pronounced than in control animals. In the treated animals, atrial fibrillation-induced alpha-smooth muscle actin expression was lower and endomysial fibrosis was less pronounced. The authors conclude that the hypercoagulable state during atrial fibrillation causes pro-fibrotic and pro-inflammatory responses in adult atrial fibroblasts. This mechanism promotes the development of a substrate for atrial fibrillation in transgenic mice and in goats with persistent atrial fibrillation. Thus, Inhibition of coagulation may not only prevent strokes, but also inhibit the development of a substrate for atrial fibrillation. These experimental findings are put into clinical perspective in an editorial by Lina Badimon from the Barcelona Cardiovascular Research Center in Spain. The roles of fat tissue, obesity, or even lean body mass as a risk factor of atrial fibrillation, are controversially debated. While obesity and also being underweight appear to increase the risk of arrhythmia, obesity is associated with the more favorable outcome of those treated with NOACs. However, accumulation of atrial adipose tissue is truly associated with atrial fibrillation. In their basic science article, Atrial fibrillation is associated with fibrotic remodeling of adipose tissue in the sub-epicardium of human and sheep atria. Peter Hamers and colleagues from the Catholic University Leuven in Belgium examined the relationship between fatty infiltrates 
and the atrial myocardium and a history of atrial fibrillation. To that end, atrial samples of 92 patients as well as a sheep model of persistent atrial fibrillation were analyzed. In sections of human right atria, sub-epicardial fatty infiltrations were commonly observed in the majority of patients. Fibro-fatty infiltrates were seen in two-thirds of the patients with permanent atrial fibrillation, half of those with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, but only in one-third of the controls. An inverse correlation between fibrotic remodeling and the amount of sub-epicardial adipose tissue suggested progressive fibrosis of fatty infiltrates in permanent atrial fibrillation. This was tested in a sheep model of atrial fibrillation where an increased accumulation of periatrial fat deposits was noted using cardiac magnetic resonance imaging. Dense fibrofatty infiltrations predominated in the left atria of atrial fibrillation sheep. Furthermore, cellular inflammation, mainly consisting of functional cytotic T lymphocytes, were present near adipocyte cell death in human atria. Thus, atrial fibrillation is associated with fibrosis of subepicardial fatty infiltrates, a process in which cytotoxic lymphocytes might be involved. Such a remodeling of the atrial subepicardium could contribute to structural remodeling, leading to a substrate for atrial fibrillation. This concept is further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Johann Auer from the General Hospital Braunau in Austria. Atrial fibrillation is increasingly recognized as a highly heritable condition. David O. Arnar and colleagues from the Landspitali University Hospital in Reykjavik, Iceland, provide additional evidence in their paper A Frameshift Deletion in the Sarcomere Gene MYL4 Causes Early Onset Familial Atrial Fibrillation. The authors aimed to determine genetic risk factors for early onset atrial fibrillation, i.e. diagnosed before 60 years of age, and sequenced the whole genomes of 8,453 Icelanders and imputed genotypes of the 25.5 million sequence variants they discovered into 1,799 Icelanders with early-onset atrial fibrillation and 337,453 controls. Each sequence variant was tested for association based on multiplicative and recessive inheritance models. They discovered a rare frameshift deletion in the myosin MYL4 gene that associates with early-onset atrial fibrillation under a recessive mode of inheritance and an allelic frequency of 0.58%. They found eight homozygous carriers of the mutation, all of whom had early-onset atrial fibrillation. Six of the homozygotes were diagnosed by the age of 30, and the remaining two in their 50s. Three of the homozygotes had received pacemaker implantations due to sick sinus syndrome, three had suffered an ischemic stroke, and one suffered sudden cardiac death. The authors conclude that through a population approach, they found a loss of function mutation in the myosin gene MYL4 that, in the homozygous state, is completely penetrant for early-onset atrial fibrillation. This finding provides novel insight into the molecular mechanisms of the arrhythmia, a notion that is further discussed in an editorial by Stanley Nettel 
from the University of Montreal in Quebec, Canada. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.